The opinions expressed in the following podcast are for general information purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide education and entertainment about the financial industry. We hope you enjoy. All right, so welcome everyone. This is a new podcast that myself and my friend here, My Day of the Games, are going to be starting called Day Traders Off the Record. And for our first episode, we're going to be doing a little interview on him, his journey through trading, uh, how he found his edge and his niche, and just asking questions and having conversations about trading. So uh, once again, this is My Day of the Games. Uh, he's been trading for about four years now, and he's actually a moderator within within the trade league chat room as well. So uh, just to kick it off, you know, welcome to you. Good to have you here. And uh, first question I have for you is, uh, how did you fall into this, this journey, this career of, of trading in general? Uh, was it an advertisement you saw? Was it a video or you just, you know, learned about trading through other means? What was it? So, uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me uh, as the first guest here on this new podcast. Very exciting, uh, very exciting stuff. Looking forward to, uh, to, to seeing where this goes. And, uh, yeah, I kind of got into the stock market by accident, uh, in, which I'll kind of explain here. It was actually the, the fall of 2017, and um, a buddy of mine was, was telling me to get in on, on these cannabis stocks that were starting to, mm. to run. Yeah. I remember and that. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I didn't really know that much about the stock market at the time, but I listened to his presentation on all these various companies and what they're doing, and I did my own due diligence as well, which is obviously something that everyone needs to do if you're going to be making a, an investment or a, a long-term swing trade. Mm -hmm. And um, I basically I took money out of you know what someone considers safe stocks like telecommunications and banking and that sort of thing. And I put a bunch of money into a couple of those, um, of those cannabis plays. And I watched the portfolio grow exponentially over a couple of months. And I said to myself, wow, this is awesome. If, if I could do this, you know, one time, why can't I do that over and over again with other stocks? And so basically that holiday season in December, I spent two or three weeks just researching on the internet because I knew day trading was the thing, but I hadn't ever done it um, up, up till that point. So when you start Googling how to day trade, you know how it is. You see the same people over and over again, the Tim Sykes, the Ross Camerons of Warrior and that sort of thing. And, and I didn't join any of their communities, but I just, I did soak up a lot of the videos on YouTube mm -hmm. And I find that for anyone who doesn't know anything about day trading, it's actually not that bad because you get to learn the lingo and the language of day trading. Yeah. It's a language in itself. Um, but then when I dove deeper into YouTube, I actually came across you. <laughs> and, and oddly enough, you had a video that was saying what your top five or top 10 cannabis picks yeah. were. And I had my investments, <laughs> exactly. And I had my investments already going and I watched that led me to watch some of your other videos. And I, and I thought to myself, like compared to those other, you know, gurus, um, you weren't doing this like flashy marketing kind of thing. I found you were just more real and down to earth. And after watching five or six of your videos, I said, Hey, I'm going to join this community and see what's going on. And that's kind of my, um, my start into the day trading world. Cool. Cool. So you said that you, you had moved money off of these telecommunications yeah. like plays into the cannabis plays, meaning that you already had an account or how did that account start in the first place? Was it a retirement account? Uh, you know, how was it funded in the first place? Yeah. And that's, that's a good question. And a lot of people, you know, they see someone start with like 15 or 20 grand and they're like, well, how did you get that money? And it's, it's obviously a very valid question. Um, but you know, it, in my case, I had, a uh, real estate investment or two from early on, which I basically just saved money for my whole life. Like I wasn't that kind of guy that was going out on weekends and buying bottles at the club and, you know, just wasting money kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I was very frugal and, and good with saving, which led me to buy a property at a very, very young age, pre-construction, um, made a decent chunk of change from that transaction. It was like a three or four year thing. 
And with that, I was able to, um, not with my own expertise, but go to someone at the bank and say, hey, I have some money. I'd like to uh, put it into a portfolio or a fund. So that's what I did with, with, that, with uh, those real estate gains. And, but when you invest in telecommunications and banking, it's really just like watching paint dry. Yeah. You know, you can't log in every week because mm-hmm. really there's not that much going on in terms of the way of what's, there's no volatility. Yeah. So when I put that money in, into the cannabis sector and, and kind of seeing it skyrocket after like a few weeks, you're, you're kind of just mind blown. And that got me start, that uh, basically got me to start researching uh how to day trade from there yeah so that means when you started out you were mainly long biased of course right because you're investing into these long-term swing trades and now you're mostly known for being a short seller <laughs> so it's kind of yeah. interesting to see that that massive shift um what happened yeah. after those cannabis plays like did you sell on time like did you cash out at the appropriate time or how did that go like how did you navigate a whole yeah. new market like that so those are, there's a lot of great questions in there. And um, again, at the time, I didn't have really any experience at all. So selling 100% partials or scaling out were terms that I was just not even aware of. Yeah. Um, but the buddy of mine that uh, got me into the, into the cannabis sector, he was kind of saying, okay, well, uh, on this date, they're going to the New York Stock Exchange or on this date, they're going to be announcing their earnings, this and that. So I kind of had a little bit of guidance from, you know, this guy was in from like three or four dollars and, you know, he's well on his way to a million dollars in that position. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty nuts. But to have that guidance, um, I did manage to sell most of it on the way up and uh, I sold the final uh the final 20 percent of that position eventually at break even but i was able to make a good chunk of change from it and actually sold three dollars off of the all-time highs right before the bubble burst what stock was that that was uh cgc cgc how high did that one go do you remember on the canadian market it topped out at 73 or 76 dollars dang and uh i sold a fifth of my position and my average was about 22 dollars so wow that's um, really good it was definitely life-changing and it also allowed me to comfortably fund my, tr- my day trading account afterwards mm-hmm. uh, instead of, you know, the expression is if you're going to be day trading, you should trade with money that you're kind of like willing to lose. hundred percent. Um, so to be able to start trading with money that was money that was just created out of thin air through the, through the stock market. Mm-hmm. That's um, that's how it got started. And, yeah, the funny thing is, as you mentioned, I did start out, uh, you know, going long, and I was in your community from uh, January or February 2018, somewhere around there. Um, but personally, I was not able to kind of get in tune with um, with your strategies, and that's the funny thing about trading is that just because the strategy doesn't work for me doesn't mean that it won't work for hundreds of other people. Because at the end of the day, it's all about your personality. Yeah. And I just thought that these small cap stocks are typically they're just struggling companies that are that are, you know, quote unquote trash. So I couldn't come to terms with like buying shares of it. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. And also I got like a lot of new traders, I got caught in that um, in that in that issue with buying breakouts. And so, I, uh, <laughs> so you, you went through that, but you kind of tweaked your strategies accordingly to never do that again. Whereas I tweak my strategies. Well, if every time I'm buying here and I'm losing seven out of 10 times, then doesn't that mean that if I'm shorting here instead, my win rate might also be seven out of 10, you know? Totally, totally. And so that kind of led me just down the other uh, <laughs> the dark side of trading. And I started researching that a little bit more. And um, I did find like a mentor or two in that, in that industry, which they kind of helped me uh, with some strategies. And then I kind of did my own trial and error through tracking and journaling 
And so my style has evolved over the years. And now I would call it somewhat of a fusion kind of short seller. By fusion, I mean, I might be interested in, in a quick scalp if there's going to be a good chance of like a 40, 50 cent wash drop. But I might try to retain some of the position for the all day, for the potential all day fade or for the test of lower levels. Whereas when I first started shorting in 20, uh, in like April, May of 2018, my problem was I would just take everything off the table 20 or 30 cents later. And I'm sure you remember. I remember that were, for sure. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. You were really good at hitting those top shorts, but then you would just lock it up very quickly. And that's a problem that a lot of new traders have where it kind of has to do with um, that fear of, you know, missing out on, on those profits if you don't lock it in quick enough. Now, before we get into more of that, now through all this, when you were starting off with day trading, um, how long did it take you until you realized, okay, I don't want to be long. I want to try short selling instead. And, and like, how did you, how did you come to terms with just like throwing away that knowledge of longing and then choosing to go short because that's something that i kind of was looking at first long ago was i was you know having struggling time with going long and i the main concern i had was you know like leaving all that info behind and then going into short sellers. like how did you how did you justify that that big switch because this is a really big switch to do right so it kind of uh it kind of goes in stages uh so when I started getting a little bit frustrated with getting dumped on, on the breakout side of things and having to use hotkeys to scalp for 10, 20 cents and paying $10 commission in and outs. Yeah. I was getting frustrated. <laughs> this was 2018 folks. Don't forget. It wasn't a free commission uh, <laughs> uh, yet. And so that was kind of frustrating. And when I started calling uh, my brokerage firm, which was like a Canadian brokerage firm and saying, Hey, do you have uh, available shares to short of this stock? The answer literally 99% of the time was no, we, we don't like maybe you were able to short, I don't know, Netflix or a large cap or something mm -hmm. like that. But in the small cap sector, it was virtually impossible to, to short a stock with, with uh, a lot of these brokerage firms. So I started doing my research and started realizing that, you know, there's only a handful of brokerage firms out there that will, that would cater to this niche. Um, and so I said, you know what, let me just open a small account with them because if you're not in the United States, you don't necessarily need $25,000 to start trading. So I funded a small account uh, offshore and, uh, you know, I had some mentors on the short side and I just kind of, grew things from there. I learned lessons the hard way, um, you know, not to average up, not to add to the loser. I learned all those things by basically getting slapped in the face, the market telling you, you, you simply just can't do this. You're, you're going to lose money. And to get back to one of the things you asked, I wouldn't say that I ever threw away the knowledge from, from going long or from trying to buy breakouts and that sort of thing, because everything that you do in the journey, it never goes to waste. You basically, uh, it's, it's all screen time, right? Cause I was yeah. there every single day, every single morning for hours on end, uh, watching these stocks, uh, play out, watching how a 1 million float stock trades differently than a 30 million share float stock. Um, watching how, a stock that's going to forecast to put in 200 million volume on the day trades compared to a stock that hasn't put in much volume at all. And so just by sitting there and, and watching time and sales and watching hundreds and hundreds of stocks play out, I mean, nothing is a waste. Okay. If, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. It makes sense to me. Um, so, so as far as, this strategy that you've kind of built up now and the niche you've built up now, how would you kind of label your trading? Is it, is it mainly technical or do you have 
lots of fundamentals like thrown in there because I know that lots of short sellers like to read filings to see if there's offerings on the table, warrants on the table. Is that something that you do often or do you mainly focus on reading tape, reading level two, looking at resistance and that stuff? Yeah, that's that's a good question. And while I do while I do try to have a general awareness of the fundamental side, so the filings, uh, it's not the most heavily weighted thing. It's more like a, an added bonus. Like if I if I find stuff myself, or if I hear chatter from other contacts that okay, such and such company has like a seventy five million dollar at the marketing. Uh, offer offer that they're allowed to just drop anytime it might kind of hint at the fact that today's gap up may lead to some possible dilution so it helps but my trading is still based on uh, mainly on the technical analysis of of the chart as well as kind of uh, real-time momentum and also the shift in psychology the shift in when there's a moment when the long bias traders are kind of sitting there wondering, oh no, <laughs> what's going on? Will this mm -hmm. stock ever come back to those highs? And kind of blending that fusion. But yeah, first and foremost, the technical analysis. So something that, uh, and it's the same for you and, and a lot of people, but we look at uh, the daily chart um, for the past year, for the past couple of years, um, if it's if it's in the midst of a run, we could be looking at yesterday's action. We could be looking at the last five days levels from the last couple of days. Um, and something that's pretty important for short sellers is what's going on in, in pre-market. The, the, I'm sure you're aware, especially in 2021 and 2020, there's a lot of short sellers that are trying to step in front of the pre-market high. A lot. Yes, yes. And I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, because it creates this little battle between like our parties where it's like if this thing rips above the pre-market highs and holds, we're all bailing out, right? The smart ones are bailing out. Yeah. But what's, be what's beautiful about trading is that there are cycles and generations of new traders coming into the market. You know, the GameStop people, the, the stimulus check people, all of that. And you have these new traders that are joining uh, the short side as well. And they're, they haven't gone through that learning process of learning the lessons the hard way. So those traders, they're, they're adding above uh, pre-market high, they're averaging up, they're trying to get the next whole dollar figure and they keep on losing and losing and losing. And that's when the likes of you, Aston, Robbie, Freddie and others, you're, <laughs> you're setting your limit, your buy orders there and you're adding to the squeeze as they're getting stopped out. So, yeah, whereas for me, <laughs> uh, it's definitely been an interesting ever since you know COVID hit back in March 2020. Everyone lost their jobs. Um, a lot of new people came into the market, and you could say that a lot of them went you know long buys because it's the easy thing to do. But at the same time, a lot of guys went to go short, and you know, like you said, they didn't learn those hard hard lessons of knowing when to stop out because mainly like one of the biggest things with going short is that you could lose everything on one trade it's not as easy to do so with long like yeah it's possible yeah. but it's not as quickly to happen so it's very important for short sellers to kind of understand when to be wrong so next question i have for you is like say like how did you accept the fact that you wouldn't be right all the time on most trades because that's something that a lot of traders have a very hard time doing. Um, so like, how did you kind of rationalize that fact that like you have to cut losses on some trades, it's never gonna work out. You can't just hold and hope. Cause if you do that for, you know, your position, you could blow up in one trade and get wiped out completely. Yeah, I, I definitely hear that. And there's a lot of traders that learn the hard way and they, they lose everything. Or you hear stories of guys that, you know, they made like a hundred grand in their account and then one trade kind of brings them back to PDT and it's, it's really devastating to, to hear those stories. Um, but so one of the things I did was I never really worked with like a, a very, very large account because again, in Canada, there's, there's no PDT. Mm -hmm. So this is a fun fact, but I actually never used a day trading account that had more than $10,000 US in it okay. because I didn't want those kind of things to, to happen to me. 
I didn't want to grow an account to 100 grand and then in uh, one bad trade lose it all. So a couple of things that I did was I set a max daily loss at the brokerage firm, which it's just uh, a figure that you choose. And essentially it's supposed to protect you from those uh, possible disasters. So let's say you're having a bad day, like something could be going on uh, in your personal life that may affect your trading. And if it does, and you take a bunch of poor trades and, and say you're down an amount of money, that's a, a lot of money for considered a lot of money for you or your trading account, your brokerage firm just cuts you off and says, that's it. That's all no more trades for you. So that's there to protect the traders. And also to rewind a little bit, if we go back to the summer of 2018, I don't know if you remember this, maybe you do. There was a couple of stocks, um, AWX and GBR. And these stocks, uh, again, we don't have to like drop names or anything like that, but there was rumors of specific groups of people uh, based out of the Bahamas that were like buying up the entire float of the stock. Mm -hmm. which it, it turns out it was perfectly legal because they filed the paperwork. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, and it caused these low float stocks to go from like $5 to $30. And this was kind of, because I wasn't around during the shipping fiasco of dries. Yeah, that was, that was you, like 2016, were, 2017, wasn't it? I don't remember what year it was, but yeah, I remember, I mean, everyone knows dries. It went from like, three yeah. to a hundred and then it brought all the sympathy plays along with it tops ships um all those names it, it blew up a lot of a lot of short sellers got crushed on them um that's right so yeah, yeah I, I had heard about those things but i wasn't around at the time and when i saw like the summer of 2018 a couple of these things going uh, it was my first experience of seeing like a real parabolic mover or there was a, a few of them and uh, on those days, on those trades, there was there was two days in a row. The first day, uh, I forget the order, but on one of the days, I lost the most amount of money that I ever lost in, in day trading. And the next day, I made the most money that I ever made in day trading. And as you know now, those two things shouldn't happen on back-to-back -back days. It's just not... Uh, consistent. It means that you were gunslinging. It means you were taking too much risk. And that's exactly what I was doing. I was averaging up and I was hoping for the market to bail me out of, of, of a position. And the first time it didn't. So I was max daily lost out. And the second time it did. But if you're sitting in front of your screen and you're saying, oh, please, God, please, God, there's got to be a crack in <laughs> we've got to take those seven dollar bids out otherwise uh, it's going to be another max daily loss if you're if you're having that kind of um moment in front of the screens and there's something terribly wrong with your behavior and your trading and then i found like the mark douglas books and uh the sample size approach and it's not about your next one trade it's about your next 100 and uh i refined my sizing rules so I'll never be in more than what makes me uncomfortable. I'll never lose more than what makes me uncomfortable. Even within a day, I've taken um, some, and this is not my original idea. This comes from, uh, he doesn't sell a service, so it doesn't matter. I think his name is Stan Guzman. He's a seven points capital prop firm trader. Yeah, and I've heard he, of him. Yeah, and he had this thing where, say you have a max daily loss, if you divide your max daily loss by three, it means that you could have three bullets or three cracks at the day. So if your setup is, if your setup is forming and you're going to take a crack at that trade, if you lose that trade, well, you still have two more possible setups, two more bullets in the holster for you to take another trade, whether it be on that stock or another. And so I kind of, uh, modeled my risk management style off of this concept and ever since doing that and again there's tweaks based on various factors but it's just been uh, a game changer very very interesting so as far as those two trades back in 2018 <laughs> you mentioned averaging up um, is that something that you still do to this day averaging up on the front side or 
or do you mainly you know wait for that kind of exhaustion candle and then size in like the yeah uh this is a great question and actually you know what there was someone in the like if you're ever going to get to the uh community questions there was one in the community that actually asked this so we could address that one right now um i think it, it might have been lewis or, uh-huh. uh, i think hopefully i'm saying his name right he asked this question so shout out to him we'll, we'll answer it um so i only consider something averaging up if it wasn't uh sorry let me this could be an edit it's so we'll answer this <laughs> we'll answer that question about averaging up so averaging up is only a negative thing if it wasn't part of your original plan so if i'm scaling into a position and part of the entries are higher than the first entry in my opinion it's not called uh well i mean i guess it is averaging up technically speaking but it's not actually averaging up because i consider averaging up like you were not willing to take the loss so say you had a thousand shares to allocate to your position and you have a seven dollar average and you were supposed to cut your loss at 715 mm-hmm. for, for argument's sake in this example it rips by 715 you didn't have your stock in place for whatever reason which you should have had it and now it's going 750 now it's going eight and you're saying okay well let me add another thousand shares at eight so my average will be 750 that is averaging up yeah but because it wasn't part of your original plan it's a huge huge error because not only is this stock breaking out and you're not cutting your loss you've now doubled your exposure you're now 2,000 shares short with the 750 average and the price is already at $8. So Definitely. if you just cut the loss at 715, you would have been down 150 bucks. Now you're down, what, a thousand bucks and it's breaking out? Like, yeah. you see how those two things are just totally different? Yeah, so like the way that I always answer that question is that whenever you want to kind of, you know, size in more, you should only be doing it in a sense to where like if you didn't have like have a trade already you would still take that entry you know what i mean like for me the only times that i ever like size into my trades is if it's a point where if i wasn't in like if i wasn't in that's where i would be buying regardless like it has to be an actual proper entry not just you know for my case averaging down uh, what i've learned over time is that like when i do like recklessly average down Usually what I'm doing is I'm just trying to find the bottom, like have my average drop down to kind of save myself. And now what I do is I don't really average down anymore at all. The only time I ever size in is when I'm winning a trade. And like for me, like I said, is like, for example, let's say that I buy a stock in like the first bounce off of daily chart level. At the time that I will average up, like is when it you know has a break over pre-market high, then I like I use that level like to size in more shares. Like if it wasn't in in the first place, that's where I'd be buying anyways. You know, yeah. Like the main thing is that you just want to make sure that like you have to have it number one, like be a part of your plan and not just you know recklessly sizing because yeah. you want to save yourself. That's the most dangerous thing. You have to make sure it's you know sizing appropriately according to your overall strategy. Which is that, the people, you know, uh, lots of short sellers will just, you know, size up recklessly because they want to be saved by a flush. When if they do that and it keeps running higher and higher, now they have, you know, thousands of shares at a terrible average. And like, no matter what happens, yeah. they're going to have to either take a loss or get stopped out by the market. So, yeah, like the main thing is, you know, you have to make sure you would only be buying or selling there in the first place if you didn't already have a position. Mm-hmm. That's like the most important thing, I think. You know, yeah, because not, the, it's just a bad trade. No, it's like the market could reward bad behavior and bad habits by bailing you out of a trade. And that's what's so dangerous about trading sometimes is that you might do every single thing right. You might have followed every single rule that you have and you still have a red trade or a red day. But in my opinion, is that if you, I'd rather have a red day like that than, you know, break rules and whatnot. But, and for the, tr- the trader that breaks these rules and averages up recklessly or averages down recklessly, hoping for a bailout, 
uh, it might work nine or 10 times or four or five times. But the problem is, is that the one time that it doesn't work, it'll be enough to take you out of the game. That's basically, that's basically the problem. And um, I want to ask you something actually, because this is something that I, uh, I struggle, I guess, uh, with um, this particular notion, but um, using you and uh, some other uh, prol prolific traders in our community, you seem to be able to add to winners with such ease. But when you add to a winner, your average, um, your, your cost basis is, is, is going up. Psychologically, how do, you, um, how do you deal with the fact that your average is going up uh, knowing that, okay, one big uh, sell-off and you could be kind of back at square one with your average? I have a hard time with that. Yeah, so I mean... It just comes down to the fact of being confident within the overall move. Like for me personally, the only times I ever want to average up is when I have really good confidence that there's a big short squeeze occurring or there's a big catalyst that's causing this big move. But really, um, like for me personally, when I do average up, like, yes, my cost basis is averaged higher, but no matter what, there's a plan in place in case it does fall apart. Because like the main thing for me is that like, like when I am, you know, sizing up, like you still don't know if the trade will be a winning trade, which kind of means that you have to almost, you know, like raise your, your stop level higher, because if you don't, and it falls apart, now you have a lot bigger loss than you kind of expected, right? So for me, like, for example, if I have, you know, sized into a trade at first at $3, it breaks out over pre-market high at 350 and I add, like I add using that 350 level, like now the max level that it has to hold is at 350 level. Cause if it breaks below that, now the overall thesis is broken. Like now the whole chart's, you know, kind of broken down. So I have to just leave the stock knowing that now it's not going to be a solid trade anymore. So I don't know if that, you know, helps explain it correctly, but if not, you know, ask away again. Yeah, no, I think I think I know where you're. I think I know where you're coming from, and uh, I think one of the reasons why I struggle with that is because I generally get like pretty good averages compared to uh, highs of day or lower highs and that sort of thing. And when a stock falls apart, and uh, like I may have the opportunity to add to that position, I have my weighted average calculator out, and uh, I'm. I'm, I'm Doing, I'm running the numbers. I'm like, okay, well, if I add uh, another third back here, my average is going to drop, especially if something has a lot of range. I'm talking range of like a, a couple of dollars in a short time frame. And let's say something sold off by $3 a share. The bounce might only be a dollar a share, but if I'm in near the top, I'm cutting my average like pretty much in half from where it is. Yeah. So in order, in order for me to continue making money, I have to with high certainty believe that this is going to be an all day fader. And as you know, with current market conditions, once the bottom is actually in place, it's not unheard of for this, these things to actually reclaim altogether. So the strategy is, you know, I almost sometimes rather keep my initial entry and unwind it and have trailing stops. And, uh, but, but everybody's different, you know, because sure there's more money to be made with adding to the winner. I just have to continue to, to, to work on that. So, yeah, I think one thing that helps me have confidence in, you know, having those high conviction ads is mainly because for me, like, you know, I like to hold for that big, big move, Yeah, which allows me to kind of justify the risk of adding into that size. Cause like, like for you, for example, you're more kind of scalpy in nature. So yeah, I can imagine it's hard to kind of give up that that good average when you're only going to be locking in, you know, half dollar down. But if you can like learn to kind of know that, okay, now it's backside, I'm sizing into backside and just have patience to kind of ride that multi-dollar move down, like maybe you'll start to see that, you know, having that ad makes a lot of sense because you are, you know, sizing into backside. So there's not a high chance of it breaking higher. And then at the same time, you're sizing in to get that multi-dollar move downwards. Like for me, for example, when I add into like a break at over pre-market high, it's because I'm like looking for that, you know, 100% move 
higher than it already is. So like the risk isn't that big to me, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that makes total sense. And I think you mentioned it in one of your earlier replies, you could always have that, uh, whether it be a trailing stop, which guarantees some kind of gain, or even in the very worst, the very worst case scenario is you leave, you leave that trade with, uh, with $0, you know, and that really isn't the worst thing in the world. Like, I'm sure it's a worse, uh, it's probably a lot worse for, for many other people, you know, people who are chasing, who, who, um, maybe buy, buying the breakouts or the shorts that are trying to add if the pre-market high is breaking, uh, above. So, um, what I noticed with you and, and your trading over the past couple of years is you really honed in on a particular um, niche and style. And so because you've been able to really work out those kinks and really develop it into something that when it works, it works huge. And when it doesn't work, it's really only uh, a, a paper cut. And I think something that, a lot of people are too focused on, on in, in trading is like win rate and that sort of thing. Totally. And I think some, something that you've been able to really convince our community and probably the public and those who follow you who haven't joined the community yet, you're convincing them that like you could be a, a, a big time profitable day trader with like a 30 to 35% win rate. And a lot of people struggle to wrap their heads around that. And I think you're doing a great job in, in proving those people wrong. Yeah, like over the past uh, three months, my win rate, let me check right now. My win rate over the yeah. past three months is 42%. I'm right 42% <laughs> of the time. But yeah. the main factor is that like my winners are six times larger than my losers. And that's the key factor is you have to not only focus on win rate, but focus on how much do you make when you're right versus how much you make when you're wrong? Yeah. Which is like one big thing for me when I was, you know, like learning, you know, breakout trading and all that stuff is like, like the main thing I cared about was, you know, being right all the time. Cause I was, you know, trying to make money as fast as I could, which, um, which isn't something that you need to do when you're starting out. Like one big turning point for me, was just realizing that, you know, you don't have to be right all the time. That the main thing is you have to make sure you're managing the risk appropriately on every single trade. So the one thing I wanted to ask you, you know, like near the beginning was, was I'm assuming you had a job like while you were learning how to trade, correct? So yes. how did you, how did you manage the time between working a job and also at the same time trading the markets? Was it because you just had like a free job that made you not work a nine to five or like, how did you manage the time between working and, you know, watching the screens. Yeah. So basically when it, when it comes to that sort of thing, uh, in my particular case, I was able to do other work, um, from home, which is very key. Like if you're going to be a day trader, obviously you need to have that battle station set up at home. Um, you know, all comfortably with monitors and all that sort of thing. And for me being able to, you know, do other work later in the morning, later in the day, uh, consult for businesses, help other businesses and individuals run their social media. I don't have to be doing that at uh, 8.30 in the morning, you know, it's, it could be done whenever. So I was in a fortunate position in the sense that every single day at seven or eight in the morning, I had a little bit of time at home to be in front of the screens. So uh, that afforded me to be able to take, you know, the opening session. Uh, and what a lot of people need to realize is that you actually don't have to sit in front of your computer from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. to make money as a day trader. Obviously, a lot of people know that the first hour is very, very volatile. It's where the biggest volume is. So if you just kind of show up to the pre-market, you look at the runners, you look at the news, you map out your levels, map out your game plan. You see what happens at 9.30. Are your levels hitting? Are you able to take an entry? 
Once you do, are you able to set those stops and targets? And then if you have another job to go to, um, you're able to go in and do that. There's a lot of people at Trade Buddy who work afternoons, who work evenings. And so that's basically it. If, if you can't be there though, like honestly, pre-market and open to get that screen time to see what happens, uh, I would recommend more like swing trading or longer term holds. But yeah. I even as a day trader, like someone who is just going to show up to the 3 p.m. power hour or after hours, it's like you're not really, really getting the feeling for like the 9.30 opening bell. It's, it's, it's where money is being made and lost. Like you have to be there, you know? I totally agree. It's kind of one of those uh, harsh realities that people don't want to hear. But I mean, almost if you want to be a day trader, you have to find some way to make time to show up in pre-market and you know the first few hours of the day because if not yeah you can watch on demand like you can watch recordings of the price action but if you're not there like what's the point of even watching that stuff in the first place so i mean yeah like one one way to kind of sidestep that is to more look at swing trading which is still you know extremely profitable if you do it right it takes more time with the moves to occur but um, yeah, like if you want to be a day trader, you have to kind of find some way to make that time. And for me, when I was uh, starting out, I was back in college and what I did was just make sure I had my classes all started after, you know, 10 AM, you know, make sure I have the first four hours of the day, like make sure I had like the morning time just to watch the markets. Even like, even when I was in class, I was still, you know, just watching the markets on my laptop anyways, cause I was just so driven and so focused on learning how to make this work for me. Uh, I think that people, you know, if you're able to have another source of income via part-time work or other sorts of things, it's actually going to help your trading in my opinion, yes. because it alleviates, it alleviates the pressure. Too many people, they come into this market and they're like, Oh, uh, I'm giving myself two or three months to be profitable. I have to make money or, you know, I won't be able to quit my job or maybe they already quit their job and they're like, Oh, I'm going to make this work. It's it a doesn't really work that bad way. spot to put yourself in. Like if you're a new trader and you have a side income, keep that for as long as you can until you're absolutely certain that you can survive exactly. off day trading. Because number one, like you said, it's going to just make yourself not as stressed like to make money today, which is one big factor for people losing is they focus on making money, not making good trades. And when you have yes. a position where you are, you know, like trading to make, like you're trading to make your monthly rent, you're going to always be worried of taking that risk because you don't want to take the loss and you'll be just worried of missing out on those profits. So you lock it in super, super fast. So yeah, um, you know, it's a very good point that you brought that up. Uh, you know, having that side income is super, super important when yeah. you're learning how to trade. So even if you are, if you're at a point where you're like uh, profitable and you, your account is growing this and that, even at that, I would still, whatever else you're doing to earn income, I would still keep that for a little while because there are such things as like hot streaks and, and things of that nature as well. So even me, like four years, it's my fourth year into this journey and I'm still kind of have a couple side hustles and this and that. And um, trading will not necess doesn't necessarily need to be your one and only primary income source. Like, unless I get to a point where I'm literally making, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of years uh, per year for like two, three years straight, then I could say, okay, I think, uh, I think I made it. I think I don't, I could wake up in the morning and after the trading session, uh, that's it. That's all. I don't have to do anything else, you know? Yeah. It's a good point but, because, you know, like when it comes down to trading, like, like once you have a strategy that is profitable you can only trade for three, four hours a day max. And like, you still have so much time in the day to make more money if you need to. And like, you know, why not? Like if you have all that time freed up and you have a side hustle that you can like have and do, like having that side income is a really good way to help you make sure that you're trading smart and not just focused on, on making ends meet. You know, it's a huge, huge factor for traders. So, you know, leading from that, um, like what's your morning process as far as, you know, waking up, 
looking at the screens? Like, is there like a morning routine that you have prior to coming to the screens or, or what do you do for yeah. that? So, yeah, I mean, routine is everything when it comes to being a day trader. Um, basically every morning is roughly the same and it should be because we're day traders are, are creatures of habit. And if we do something that's outside of our habit, it might mess with our day. Maybe it's superstitious or I don't know, but it, it also stems back to, to discipline because being disciplined in the market means being disciplined with the actual trade itself. But being disciplined as a day trader is not just about the trade that you're taking. It's literally about your whole life. Yeah. Like ever since, uh, you know, the better I've gotten at day trading, the more I care about what I eat, the more I go jogging and, and literally stuff like that. So my day, you know, starts at seven, seven fifteen in the morning. And I have a couple of day trader friends that I have like a little group chat with on, uh, on WhatsApp and um uh, you know sean and you, you know him and uh, a few other guys and literally everyone has a routine and uh, we say hey good morning guys and right away they're saying oh go and go enjoy your uh, go enjoy the walk with your dog and, you know like they know that's what i'm doing get some fresh air uh circulate the blood by walking and then come back in get the coffee going and then sit down at the screens and see what's popping and why so reading that news pr and then kind of uh narrowing down uh what i think i might be interested in playing uh trading that day and how i do that is actually based on my statistics so knowing your numbers is also one of the most important things as well so what i mean by that is i do much better with stocks that are priced from five to ten dollars versus one to five or 10 to 20. So if I see three or four gappers in the morning, uh, you know, 1 million to 30 million flow with use PR, with volume, I'll gravitate towards the ones that are priced five to $10 more so than the gap up from one to 150. For whatever reason, I just can't get a handle on, on those. So it's like you play to your strengths. And the how do you, like, how do yeah. you know those, how do you know that stat? Like, like what, like, how did you figure out that you're not as good with stocks from one to three and you're better on stocks from five to 10? Like, how did you figure that out? Cause for most people, they think that they just know that from the top of their head, but I know that you know, for you, you're more data driven. So did you use a software or Excel? So it's a little bit of, it's a mix between manual journaling with trader. So for those traders who, uh, who don't know about trader view, you, you should know about it because first of all, the free version, uh, if you're not over trading, like a degenerate, the free version is, <laughs> is, is more than enough to import your trades, right? That's what I use. Yeah. The free yeah, version exactly. is all I need. <laughs> It's all you need. There's a paid version, but like I said, that's like if you're doing hundreds of executions a day. Um, and so, yeah, manually, manually uh, journaling uh, got me to realize that I wasn't getting a grip on these like lower priced gappers and something, I guess it's also psychological too, but if you have a gapper that's like going from a dollar to about 50, about 75, I know I shouldn't be thinking in terms of, of money, but in order for me to actually make a decent gain on that stock, I need to use a lot more size in terms of share size, even if it's the same dollar figure. So it's just psychological mm -hmm. uh, compared to, you know, using a hundred shares on a $10 stock versus a thousand shares on a $1 stock. It's the same thing mathematically, but psychological and, you know, volatility that the stock puts in, like, I could use a hundred shares on a $10 stock and just, I could do better on it personally. And that comes with journaling and it comes with what, knowing what you're comfortable in and uh, it comes with time and it comes with, again, it all comes back to screen time and showing up every day. And, and also those stocks that are $1 and $2, you, they trade differently. Yeah. They the, or, the order book is much uh, thicker and the bids and, and all that stuff. Like, 
the volume, I don't know, the way that these stocks trade is just very different compared to uh, a low float that's like, you know, like ENTX the other day, for example, going from seven, uh, you know, all-time highs and when it pushed to $10, that kind of stuff is my bread and butter. Like a, another short seller that just showed up to the market, they might be seeing that and they might be scared the way that it's just like rocketing. But because I've been here for several years, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of watching it and saying, okay, we'll, we'll see what happens at $10, you know? And then yeah. more often than not, there's always some sellers jumping in at $10. And even, you know, guys like Aston and, and others, they're unloading their long positions at $10. So you have long bias traders unloading their positions. You have experienced short sellers that are building a core around a $10 figure. It creates double the selling pressure. And then that's how you get that quick wash. It was back in the eights and sevens within like moments later. So for me, just having been around for a while, I was able to just jump in with my orders and off of that $10 level. Which brings up that kind of notion of, you know, knowing what other people are doing within the stock itself is a very big edge. Wouldn't you agree with that? Just knowing Absolutely. how people are acting at those levels, uh, you know, round numbers, five, ten dollars, knowing that people are going to be, you know, locking in profits there, that can give you a huge edge when you're short. So yeah, that's something that you've picked up on pretty well, and like you've used that heavily to your advantage. You know, using that round ten dollar number because you do that all the time. Like I see it, <laughs> every stock that runs up to ten, you're shorting ten, and it it works out very consistently. Like as far as back to the routine that you have in the morning, right. do you do you use a lot of scanners or do you mainly just just rely on on people talking about stocks that are hot? So I do have uh, access to uh, trade ideas just to get the morning uh, the morning scan on which low float stocks are currently up the biggest percentage compared to previous flows. And then from there, I'll just kind of go down the list. And if it's below a dollar, I'll ignore it. Usually if it's above uh, 20, 30, $40, I'll ignore it. I'll, I'll never say that, you know, we'll never trade those, but uh, trying to gravitate towards the one to $20 area and try to gravitate towards float between one and 50 uh, million. And again, if something's a hundred million, doesn't mean I won't trade it, but knowing what your preferences are when you have those scans. And then from there, you know, if it's really, really, really bullish news, I'm going to be very careful about even creating the short plan around it. If there is one and you'll kind of notice that once in a while, there are press releases that are, you know, very fluffy. Um, they might say things like, oh, the company may be doing this, or we've entered an agreement, but the terms will not be disclosed. And stuff like that for me is kind of, uh, I kind of take it with a grain of salt. Uh, and I, I, I've watched a few documentaries and stuff where, those kinds of things could be the insiders and you know executives they're trying to sell basically shares of their own company to the public mm -hmm. and just because there's a positive headline or a positive press release doesn't always mean that great things are going on for the company it could just be uh an event to cause the gap up and to attract more buyers uh, to the market. So I try my best to, to read those PRs and try to see, are they actually bullish or is something, or is there a hidden agenda here? Yeah, I'm sure that if you also look into like the SEC filings and see, oh, this is kind of fluff news and they have an offering on the table, they have warrants on the table, that can give you a massive edge as a short seller. So that's, you know, something that I think definitely can, you know, help, like help in your yeah. favor too, you know, like having fun uh, plus that. And just to tell a quick funny story, uh, there was a Chinese company, uh, this was maybe last year or two years ago, and 
it was the first time that I was uh, caught in a, I was caught in like a, one of those halts pending news mm. and it was over a weekend. So it was a rough weekend because, you know, as a day trader, you want to close your positions usually around four o'clock at market time, maybe here and there, you might have a little position to scale out in after hours, but for the most part, you're done the same day. So there was this Chinese company, Low Float. The PR was that they acquired a piece of art, like a painting. I don't know if you remember this. Yeah, I think <laughs> I regular. do remember this. Wasn't it like a, I want to say it was like a, some Picasso painting or something, but they didn't actually <laughs> yeah. acquire it. Wasn't that yeah. something like that? <laughs> and like the company wasn't, I don't think it was a company that was in like the art and culture game like it might have been a pharmaceutical i don't remember the details yeah, yeah. so i remember just saying like it's so very sketchy and uh, had an afternoon run and i might have been you know i was pulling up the chart and like okay let me take a feeler here you know off the ten dollar level sure enough <laughs> <laughs> and it rips to 12 12 and i was and getting back to those earlier conversations about like not averaging up and not stepping in front of the train with your full size I was just in with a feeler. So I wasn't averaging up. I wasn't, I was just in, in the motion of scaling in the process of scaling in or potentially about to cut that starter if it continues ripping and then wait to reassess at a higher level. Uh, but it got halted pending news. Uh, so it stopped trading. You couldn't trade it. And in the back of your head, you're like, oh no, I hope it's not a T12 uh, like Elfin had. Because if it's a T12, then your money is literally frozen for months. Um, luckily, it wasn't a big chunk of the account or anything. So even if it was, it would have been okay. But to go into the weekend, halt pending news, no resume time. So I'm like that guy on stock tweets and Twitter now, like reading for the speculation, reading for the hype. And if anything, as a short seller, uh, I kind of had a hunch that if this is going to reopen, it's probably going to reopen lower, but probably isn't a guarantee, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm waiting for Monday morning and thinking to myself, oh no, if this thing, and there's no stop losses in pre-market, as you know. So if this thing opens up at 7 a.m. or 8 a.m., I think I set an alarm at 4 a.m. just in case, because some things might start trading at 4. And I'm like, wow, if this thing opens up at 15, like, I'm going to lose like a, a, a decent chunk of the account, you know, be 50% of that position. Yeah, exactly. So, um, luckily I think after eight or eight 30, the thing opened at, uh, $4. Very nice. <laughs> and, and it might've bounced back to like seven or eight or something, but I got out like right away. And, uh, it turned out to be one of those scenarios where the market, I was in a losing position going into the halt. And the market um, uh, bailed me out. So, so would you say that just, that was a like a good trade, or was it just a bad trade that happened to win money in the end? Yeah, it was. It was definitely not a, a great trade. Uh, the starter was okay, but I may have let it get away from me more than than uh, one should have, and the market bailed me out. But it made me wait a whole weekend to suffer through those. Uh, those emotions <laughs> mm -hmm. of like, wow, this could open it. It could open where it stopped at 12 or it could reopen like higher if they actually confirm the news is legitimate and more buyers pour in because pre-market is illiquid. It, so this thing could rip to $20 for all we know. Right. Yeah. Uh, we, we've seen, we've seen crazier things happen. Uh, and actually in December, so just a few months ago, same thing happened. It was on you, uh, you, you, and this is quite funny, but I had the largest trade of my career that day, but it actually came on, you know, a very solid trade, it's, uh, but it halted down pending news and it reopened a couple bucks lower. So the market rewarded me, but it was still a very good trade because had it not, uh, had there had been no halt, it was still like po poised to be an all day fader. It already put in those signs, but the market kind of rewarded it by opening much lower. And uh, I was waiting for my final cover, like several dollars below uh, my average. And I was at a point where I knew what my record was from the summer of 2018. But if you recall, that was on the back of two days where I was just bad habits, right? 
letting the market bail me out. And I was like, I was, and I know you should never do this as a trader, but I was looking at the PL and I said, mm-hmm. I'm only five more dollars away from breaking the record. I'm covering at like 466 or whatever it is. If I cover it 490, I'm only going to tie. So I'm going <laughs> to, and traders don't do that. Don't look at the PL and let it influence you. But I wanted to break the record uh, on the basis of it being a good trade and not total garbage, you know? So, yeah. So let me ask you, how much lower did that stock go after you covered? <laughs> You, you, you. It was, a, it was a bottom take cover, actually. Oh, really? Was, uh, maybe like 10 cents lower and then it bounced. Um, but it was all probably like a fifth or a sixth of, of the position. Mm-hmm. This is another thing I'm working on. Like when I'm doing these bottom tick covers, I'm literally not working with that many shares left. Like I want to be able to bottom tick and have like uh, a, a good chunk of that, like a third of that position in bottom tick. Mm-hmm. When it's like a fifth or a sixth, you're like, uh, it's like, it's not, not the greatest, you know, when you're already mostly out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you know, you brought up something very interesting to me when you were talking about your morning routine and being disciplined. And you said that you know, when it comes to being disciplined as a trader, you have to also have discipline outside of trading. Was that something that you kind of knew off the bat, or was it something that you kind of learned as you were trying to build up your disciplined trading? Because you said you go on walks every morning, you do your daily routine. When did you figure out that that was a proper and required thing to do to build up that consistency? So the podcast was getting quite a bit long there. So we decided to split it up into two parts to make it a bit easier to ingest as a viewer and listener. If you enjoyed this section, then please make sure to leave a like, leave a comment down below. If you have any suggestions of topics we should talk about or people we should interview in future episodes. and. Um, We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for watching and listening and uh, hope you enjoyed.